Hello, and welcome to this special edition of the Network Collector Short Take. Joining us on today's show is SnapRoute, and they're here to talk about their unique approach to cloud-native networking. I had the opportunity to see them present at Networking Field Day 20, and the whole concept of what they do has piqued my interest. So settle in and get ready to hear about how SnapRoute intends to change the way you do networking. So joining us today are SnapRoute's co-founders, Glenn Sullivan and Adam Casella. Glenn, Adam, thanks for coming on the show. Let's get started by having uh, the two of you give a little background on where you come from and how this whole idea got started. Yeah, thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. So um, most of the disaggregated players out there in, in networking uh, have actually come from other vendors, right? They've, they've been spin outs. You know, they might try to do something in a business unit at, you know, one of the traditional Cisco Juniper Aristas. They can't get their idea through. So they've got to kind of leave the company, you know, with the hopes of maybe getting spun back in. And that's a really successful way to start a company. But Adam and I actually have a completely different background. And that's from an operations perspective. Um, him and I helped build the global data centers at Apple to support some of the external properties that you're familiar with as an Apple user, you know, iTunes, iCloud, Siri maps. So we really has started SnapRoute with the operator's perspective and point of view uh, kind of baked in since day one. You know, what do you need in the product when you wake up at 3 a.m. bleary eyed trying to figure out what's broken? Uh, that's that sort of DNA is built into the product since day one. Um, we also happen to have a, a vendor background from our, our years in, in support. So we've, we've kind of seen both angles of how how to build a product, how to support it, and then how to actually use it in an operations environment. Yeah, I mean, and to that end, the, the experience we gained at Apple for not only trying to figure out how to build at scale centralized data centers where things are very closely co-located, we also have the unique experience that, you know, uh, I, I don't think happening with too many places of having to put out a lot of different pops for applications to have better latency to their end users. In particular, think of like Siri when you're talking, hitting the button on your phone and that response time you want, you want it to be as top, as fast as possible. Um, so, it's not just working in a centralized location. It's also, you know, working with distributed locations and how you get those things deployed efficiently from that perspective, which, you know, having those two mix between those two only happen with a, a few set of operators that exist out there, but it's going to be expanding tremendously in this little bit. And I think our experience uniquely positions us to understand those, those problems. So that's interesting. Um, I'm curious how that translates into what SnapRoute is doing today. So you guys are taking a very interesting and, and unique approach to the way of, of, uh, of doing networking. And so, I mean, obviously, we, we know your background comes from this, you know, this unique experience at, at Apple and some of the things you learned there. How did that translate into your product? And, and how did you land that this is the way that we think things should be? Sure. So if you look at the way that, you know, network operating systems have been architected and designed for the past, you know, 20, 30 years, they haven't changed tremendously, right? We're still, you know, putting a monolithic piece of code onto a system, you know, setting a boot string of some kind and rebooting them in most cases, right? That is, you know, a pattern that has been around for as long as I have been in in networking that I can recall. And that's really one of the things that we're trying to, to get away from because it limits you in many ways. One, if you need to go ahead and, you know, update patch or, or you know, you know, test or, you know, change a particular piece in that code, you can't. And so when we took a step back about the best way we could see to do it and the ways that we've seen it's been solved at our locations, it kind of ended up driving us towards, you know, the Kubernetes front and the microservices piece of containers and making a containerized microservices for networking and have that built fundamentally into the architecture. Now, when we looked at, you know, 
back what we did at Apple, some of the issues that we really ran into was simple problems that basically stopped us in our tracks. Like whether it be a CLI issue where if you run show version 10,000 times, your device crashes and there's no way to actually track how many times you're actually looking at it, and you have to update an entire version, you can't put a patch out there for or, or fix that particular piece of code, till LODP being received from our, you know, our servers that crashes the box. So now you have you know, switches that look like Christmas tree lights going on and off as every time they get an LOD packet with a certain set of parameters set, it causes a kernel panic and the switch reboots. Those type of issues are very hard to resolve without turning those features off and just dealing with the fact that, you know, I can't actually utilize this feature is something that, you know, we think really needs to be addressed, especially when you start looking at a more distributed, you know, uh, micro DC world, when you're looking at edge computing and how many of those things are going to be put out there to support, you know, a numerous set of use cases, you need to make sure that you can, you know, deploy what you need specifically where you want it and then be able to manage those effectively across a large geographic area. I would even argue, you know, in that, that you can't always turn those features off, right? Like, even yeah. if you're not using them, doesn't mean you're, you're, you're turning them off. So you guys have taken the, the microservices approach and applied it to the network operating system. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. We're, treating, we're treating the network like the distributed app. It always has been. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, I, I think that one of the hesitations that comes when people start talking about, you know, all these new ways of doing network, right? Because we're seeing a lot of change and shift, or at least, at least in the ideas of how to approach networking, is that this is for the big guys. This is for the cloud players, the web scalers, the, the big ISP networks. Do you think this applies across the board, or do you think that this is something that's intended for uh, a specific audience? Well, I think that, you know, the idea of doing microservices and containerization is something that absolutely we, we use across the board. I mean, you can see the adoption within Kubernetes uh, in the last you know, couple of years, and it's been tremendous. In, in our perspective, Kubernetes is the next Linux. Where Linux built the web, yep. Kubernetes is going to build the cloud and the edge uh, use cases that exist out there. And people are already adopting it. You can see the, the, you know, the mass uh, you know, community that's been built around there. Okay, so as we talk about the evolution of enterprise networking, I mean, we hear a lot about digital transformation, hybrid IT, on-prem cloud, hybrid cloud. I mean, I'm, I go through the buzzword bingo, right? Sure. Um, so what does SnapRoute do uniquely that empowers you know, companies to take advantage of these, these new trends, these new architectures, these new ways of thinking? So if you look at, um, from my perspective, you know, folks are really starting to, to really look into the idea of using containers to deploy their apps and keep them managed. And the reason, there's a couple of reasons why they're doing that, right? One, it allows them to go ahead and move between those platforms pretty easily. So whether you be, you know, public cloud, whether you be on your own, you know, DC that you own on-prem, or whether you to be deploying stuff that might be, you know, located across, you know, a bunch of edge locations, whether you own that or you're using someone else's service to go ahead and do it. The why we're looking at containerization and why containerization is taken off from that perspective is because it gives you the portability of where you can place your app with it and still have the same quality of experience for that end user. And so when we look at from the networking side, from our perspective, is if you can go ahead and align the, the network infrastructure to be able to have a similar way of, of operating their particular pieces, uh, it's a huge advantage, not only from you know, an operational efficiency standpoint, but it also gives you the ability to start to react to security vulnerabilities and other issues that have come up of recently and with you know, other vendors that the only way to address them is to rip and replace a new code. And anyone who has you know, operated a network know that downtime is not only very hard to find, it is you know, just you know, tremendous risk is involved for trying to go ahead and do so. Because you can't test these things in you know, an isolated way to ensure that I only need to touch this particular piece of that code, and that's the only one I have to go ahead and update. 
if you're changing the entire version, you end up with a bunch of fixes that you have no idea what the impact might be on your particular, you know, operational uh, infrastructure. So true. I'm just thinking back to all of the, all of the changes I've done in my career. And every time I was afraid to push that button because well, I, I knew the thing I was going to do, but I didn't know all the other things that were going to happen as a consequence of it because it's just well, a large piece of code. Yeah. yeah. And you, you are forced into the, the, the problem is we've built these networks that are fragile and they, and they're easy to break because we're so afraid to touch them that we know that every time we poke them, it's like a house of cards that's going to fall over because we might only get one maintenance window a month or maybe one a quarter if we're, if we're really unlucky, right? And we'll try to have like the 3 a.m. change on Sunday morning. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, we need to do these 60 changes, all these ACL changes and all these, you know, route updates and maybe peers turning online. There, there's a whole host of things you could do, you know, local password updates. And because we stack the changes, we've created an environment where a lot of things can go wrong in a very short amount of time, right? Whereas other folks, like the hyperscalers, like you mentioned, they've learned a long time ago that they need to do little changes all the time, you know, CICD, right? And they do this even for the network, right? If I roll a change every week or every night and I keep building on that and something breaks, I just pull it out and I keep moving. And, and this is the number one thing Adam and I are trying to bake into the product since day one is we know how hard it is to get enough change windows to make constant changes so and and have the the credibility with the rest of the team to do these changes like look at issu i i you know i saw some stuff on on twitter the last couple of days complaining about issu and you know you push the button you pray and 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 we we live through this you push the button it takes 20 minutes and and you don't know what's going on in that 20 minutes the the box is sort of in production but it's sort of not and you're just kind of sweating bullets as a network engineer going, uh, uh, I think it, I hope it comes back. And if it doesn't, then I know I'm going to have to troubleshoot the heck out of it. And I'm going to be left with a system that is in some kind of weird state that I don't know how I got in there. And I don't know how to get it out. Whereas we said, hey, let's take that time period from 20 minutes to like a couple of seconds. And, and we make that a very predictable amount of time so that when you roll this new container, it's like, oh, OK, now it's running the new thing and I can move on, on with my day. It's yeah. a very, very different mindset. Little changes all the time as opposed to big changes once in a while. Yeah, and, and to just kind of you know, touch a little bit upon that point as well, is that we're not doing it in some sort of proprietary mechanism. We're using open tools, Kubernetes, and, and to go ahead and deploy those things out and ensure those container swaps occur smoothly. And so it's not done in a way that people don't necessarily understand. It's pretty open in, in on how that actually is functioning, and we're using the mechanisms that you know, are well understood to do so. And, and to, to Glenn's point about you know, making sure that you can patch and update and do these changes, it's only going to get worse as you have environments that are unmanned and many of them with micro DCs, where now if you make the mistake of, hey, I didn't test this code 100% or not as well as I thought I did. And now I deploy down there and I made a mistake that, had, that actually affected this particular item. And I've already deployed this in 20, 30 locations. Going back and now addressing that is extremely difficult to do. You end up in a very hard place. You're stuck. You don't. It's you either have to either send people back out there and hope everything goes smoothly when you go ahead and actually reboot the device and cross your fingers that it comes up and nothing goes wrong during that period of time, or you're just you know turning off features and start turning off functionality and hoping that you don't end up hitting that problem. And in many cases, you actually can't avoid it. 
And if it's a security issue, I mean, you now have a piece that is vulnerable in your infrastructure that you can't actually do anything about effectively in any period of time. And if that doesn't make someone nervous that they now have essentially a Trojan horse in some perspective of the network infrastructure in their environment, I mean, they're just not looking at the right items in my opinion. That's really interesting. So, I mean, I think that I heard in there a bit of the edge computing use case, the idea that, you know, as things shift further and further out, less, like you said, unmanned locations, just places that you're not going to have someone there to, to help flip a switch. Um, small changes consistently seem to be a more uh, appropriate way to go. Um, okay. That makes sense. So, I mean, it, it seems like you guys are taking it like one step further. So, I mean, we've, we've obviously had, you know, the very traditional monolithic stack, you know, you go, you go to the hardware vendor, you buy the, you buy the piece of hardware, it comes with a piece of software on it. You do the upgrade. That's what it is. Obviously uh, disaggregation has been, you know, uh, gaining in popularity. Uh, we're seeing it more and more, um, come out of the hyperscalers and kind of work its way down. You guys are taking it one step further into a microservices um, style architecture. What do you think the challenges are as, as we move to this mindset of distributed applications and distributed data models? It's not something that the network has dealt with, you know, directly uh, very much. So, you know, what do you, what do you say to that when you say, you know, there's probably some challenges here or different ways of thinking? Sure. I mean, if you look at some of the challenges that, that exist with some folks is there's always going to be, you know, a, uh, different way of how these things are put together in some manner, right? So if you start looking at, oh, I started moving these features and I have three, three, four, or five versions together, how is it going to interact differently than if you have one ubiquitous, you know, one ubiquitous item, right? That is that is one person's fear of like, well, if everything's separated, how do I keep track of what's what and how it works together? So, and I understand that. That is absolutely a concern that people should be worried about. But you can go ahead and address that in a way that would make your life so much easier as going forward if you start looking at these components as mechanisms that you can test independently of each other through a pipeline that makes sense for your particular deployment. So if you start making in these, uh, you know, these uh, CCD pipelines that, you know, us as SnapRoute, we do our internal testing. We go ahead and make sure this, this, you know, particular service functions as we expect it to and done through our due diligence on that. We post it to a location that you can then they'll pull it down now. Now you can continue that pipeline <clears throat> as a CD portion of that. So you pull that piece down and now you can start applying the tests that are specific to your environment to ensure that it's going to be deployed in functions as you expect. And you can do it not only over virtual way, but you also can do it on a set of physical equipment and you could do it as a single piece of cont container, it's isolated, or you can do it as an entire, you know, virtual mechanism that you're just swapping out this one container and ensuring that things still function as you expect, right? Before you move it into production or if you have a, a test lab that you move it through. I mean, and that's really up to the person who's, who's running that particular piece. Now, I understand that there's a lot of folks, you know, who don't necessarily are, are there yet for being able to do that, but it's start looking at how the DevOps community did this and how they started looking at that mechanism, they had to go through these same pains and these same learnings, right? This isn't something that you don't have the experience with in your organization to do. It's there. You just got to be uh, willing to, to take a look at how you go ahead and approach those items and the advantages of what you get in doing so. So the challenges uh, from our perspective is basically understanding the power that you get when you have these things in a way that it makes it easier to manage. Right. And it's it's a cultural thing, too. Right. Like the network folks have to stop saying no. Right. Like right now we're in this uh, culture. And no, I like to I like to get in a NIMBA, not in my backyard, not in my network. Right. <laughs> um, because if you're rewarded on uptime, 
right? If you're, if you're really focused on, you know, I got to have five nines of uptime and nothing else matters, then you'd create a situation where the network team just goes, no, we're not going to do it because it's a new feature. It's a new thing. It's a new risk. And I don't know what it means. So no. And, you know, they think they've built a, a network that's stronger and more reliant and, and has better uptime. But all I've done is create a situation where the DevOps guys go, okay, cool. I'll just go slide my credit card, buy some AWS instance and not even ask you guys anything anymore. Yeah. And as we go to edge where public, where the public cloud 1.0 isn't good enough, right? Where the public cloud doesn't, you know, service that area or doesn't have the regulations for data sovereignty rules or, or what, or it doesn't have the latency requirements of the application the, the network guys can't and gals can't say no anymore. They have to get out of everyone's way and adopt a culture of yes to enable themselves to be still relevant. And I think that's the biggest thing that we're going to see going forward, right? Like less importance on, you know, your classic CCIE type training and more importance on cloud stack, full stack, whatever you want to call the, the, the new term of the day engineer. But that's the reality. And this is where, this is where Adam's, you know, really hone in and on people, right? You know, they have your expertise in their organization. And if they don't, they're going to hire for it soon anyway. But that's where I see the, 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 the industry going is to have less, you know, marketing uh, experts at whatever features the classic vendors are throwing out today and get people who understand how to build entire infrastructures uh, and, and how the network can help instead of getting in the way. Yeah. And the, the, the complexity there of having to manage 25 different tools when you start expanding these things out and increasing the not only the geographic distance from people who are there, but also the multitudes of those sites. If you can reduce that complexity for how you manage and work with those particular items from, you know, aligning that particular tool set and aligning the, the knowledge from end to end, you start getting tighter integration to what your application needs to ensure it gets the traffic to where it needs to go. And I think that's another, you know, component that people tend to overlook when they're trying to figure out how to to go ahead and deploy these things where they have 25 tools or three tools that do six different things that are just competing with each other. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see it. You know, I feel like we're returning to roots when it comes to networking. Networking started off as compute. It just was a specialized type of compute. And somehow, somewhere along the way, it kind of shifted out to being its own little niche and its own little specialty and its own little thing. And it just seems like we're heading back that direction. So I agree. I think the idea that, you know, um, microservices architectures are not new. It's just new to networking. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. just gotta, we just got to get up to speed, right? And find the people who hand, who who are who can who can help. And you know, there still is a need for networking expertise. It's just going to be in a new model. That's uh, right. Yeah, and so there's uh, there's value there. So I mean, your literature uh, talks a bit about uh, not only the architectural differences, which obviously are significant, but also the financial differences. I don't know if you guys can take a couple seconds to talk. You know, how how does this approach change the financial approach to doing networking? Sure. Do you, you want to go with this one, Glenn? Or do you want me yeah, to? Yeah, yeah, sure. So the, the thing that's really important to remember is that there's been a lot of innovation or a lot of attempted innovation in disaggregated networking. Um, but they're really not focused on solving the financial model. They're just trying to, you know, look at, uh, you know, the total cost of a system. And they'll say, okay, well, how much does the hardware cost? Oh, this hardware on disag is a lot cheaper. Uh, so that means that that gives me a lot more room for my software margins. And, and if I'm just a little bit less, then I'm okay. Uh, then I'll be a clear winner over, over the classic, you know, uh, aggregated model. 
we're seeing a different uh, kind of adoption rate where people look at it and say, look, status quo is okay. Um, sure, I know that there's a lot of operational pain, but unless I'm actually going to save you know, a decent amount of money, you know, up to maybe 50%, I'm not going to make a change. I'm just going to keep lagging along with doing what I'm doing. And we look at disaggregation as a, as a clear opportunity for this to exist or for this to be accelerated, right? Because you're just building software at this point. And the software is specific to hardware, but the, the value needs to be in the software itself, not in the difference between, you know, what my hardware cost is and what my total cost was with a traditional vendor. And we know the traditional vendors are moving in this way. I mean, I think if you look at some of the news that came out the last, you know, the last couple of weeks where, you know, Chuck is delighted over at Cisco because, you know, before they had no software subscription revenue and now they've got some you know wireless things and enterprise you know business units that are seeing revenue from software subscriptions so this is great for us because it validates the model and we think the networking is moving in this direction for both disaggregated and aggregated right where your network infrastructure is going to be a subscription model and it's going to have a lot less upfront cost and for us it allows us to be a lot more flexible with what's included in that in that price, because we find that the people that are getting into, you know, building the networks that can utilize the advantages of Kubernetes and building out disaggregated solutions, they, they are not your typical customer who's going to call TAC and say, how do I design my OSPF network? Where should I put my virtual links? You know, and all that. They know all this stuff. They call TAC when they see a bug. They call TAC when they see a, uh, you know, a, an issue with the documentation or something isn't quite right in the documentation or they don't know how to do something because it's not well, you know, understood. Or, or they're really literally calling them and saying, do this in your, I and mean, we've all been there as network engineers. Just stop talking. Do the five things I'm telling you in this order. Go in your lab and do it and you will see this bug and go fix that bug. And, and we find that the, the the classic support infrastructure where you're paying, you're paying for teach me OSPF, but you're utilizing go fix this bug. So what do you feel like? You feel like dev test for the for the network vendor. I, I, mean, all, I literally, I literally have this ticket open right now. I'm not exactly. I literally exactly. have it open right now. I sent an email this morning as a follow up to this ticket. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah. So, so, so imagine that. Okay. So, so how do we, how do we, you know, revolutionize support? And we say, okay, subscription model includes support. What is that support? That support is a Slack channel mostly. I mean, sure, we can do all the other SLA stuff that everybody else does. 9.999 times out of 10 support is a dedicated Slack channel. Customer goes into the Slack channel. They ask a question without thinking, who do I email this to? Who do I call? They just throw the question into the air. It's, you got a bunch of engineers on there who, by the way, wrote the software and they give an answer and then everybody's happy, right? Customer says, oh, I just talked to the dude who wrote the CLI. Now I understand how, how, how it works. CLI uh, you know, engineer goes, uh, I just got direct feedback on what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. I don't have to go through SE. I don't have to go through, you know, translator layers after layer after layer. Everybody's happy. And by the way, the cost to support that is a heck of a lot less than it would be in your traditional model. So I don't have to pass that support cost onto Mr. or Mrs. Customer. Got it. All right. I think it's a good place to wrap it up uh, before, um, before we leave, though, um, I want to give you guys an opportunity to to share where people might go to find out more. So, so if someone's interested in SnapRoute, where do they go to learn more about you? 
So if you go to snaproute.com and you go to the learn section, we have so many resources on there, videos that Adam and I have been in. So we've got white papers and documentation that you can go through to figure out, you know, what we're doing revolutionary uh, in the industry. You can also subscribe to our Twitter feed at SnapRoute, where we are uh, constantly posting events that we're going to be at or, or talks that we have coming up. And, and you can really keep your finger on the pulse of what we're doing. Excellent. Uh, well, Glenn Adams, thanks so much for coming on. Um, this was a great conversation. I'm really excited about the stuff you're doing. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yep, thank you. Appreciate All it. All right, guys. See you next Take time. Care. You too. Bye.